listening to AmericasWebRadio.com, the pioneer and leader in chat radio. Thank you for listening. And welcome to America's Web Radio. My name is Doug Dahlgren, and this is the prologue. Now, the motivation and the concept of this program is quite simple. There's a lot of great work out there, books and music, that you haven't heard of yet. My job is to bring you some of those so that you can decide what you think. Now, the main difference between major, well-known writers and many folks that I'll be introducing to you on this show is marketing. Now, before you scoff at that suggestion, consider that many great writers were at first rejected by many major publishers. Take John Grisham and Vince Flynn, for example. They both started out selling books from the back of their cars, and they sold a bunch of books. Now, not everyone has the moxie that it takes to self-promote like these guys did. But if they hadn't, the world would never have known about Mitch Rapp or the great story of A Time to Kill. Now, is everyone a budding John Grisham? Well, no. But you should have an opportunity to judge that for yourself. And today's market is just full of too many other writers that you haven't heard of before. So that's why I do this. I hope that you'll sit back, and if you're at work, slip those headphones on and enjoy this hour and an introduction to a great writer. If you have any comments or if you'd like to be a guest, on a future episode, I invite you to contact me through email. It's Doug at DougDahlgren.com. And that means right now, live, if you'd like to make a comment, I invite you to do so. And if there's a question for our guest, we'll see if we can work it in. Now, that guest this morning is Atlanta author Barbara Barth. Barbara has several books that are available in different genres. Today, we're here primarily to bring you her fast-paced thriller titled Danger in Her Words. And this is your prologue. The need to get away drives an author to a small community, an hour from her friends. She attends a writer's convention where the main topic is sex sells. A widow, this author is three years removed from men and the dating scene. Sex had become but a faint memory. Research was in order, so our writer dives in to the Internet, creating a profile and a persona far beyond her own experience, much less willingness to try. The writer finds that she has attracted a predator. The dating sites she frequented were intended as data for her character, but our writer quickly learns there's danger in her words. The second book by our special guest today, Danger in Her Words, is a departure from the blogs and the first novel, The Unfaithful Widow. This busy lady is not only a novelist, she's a blogger in high demand, a former shop owner, and an advocate for new writers. With forums and workshops she's set up and a website featuring these authors and their work. Not to mention the fact that she's a supreme pet lover. So please... Welcome with me this morning, Ms. Barbara Barth. Hey there, my friend. How are you this morning? Well, I'm doing great, Doug. And hearing you talk about danger in her words gave me goosebumps. You need to do my audio book. 
Oh, okay. You well, we can talk. Quite a way of pre- the presentation on that was fabulous. <laughs> well, okay, we can talk about that. Anyhow, I can tell you're a writer too. <laughs> well, thank you. Now, writers often share a great deal of themselves through their characters, and that opening line I just shared with everybody, the one about a small community an hour from her friends, that has a very special meaning to you, doesn't it? Yes, it does. And, um, you know, I live in metro Atlanta, but for the last, I guess, four years, five years, I keep thinking I need to move to that small farmhouse an hour outside of Atlanta. And actually, um, Danger in Her Words was the setting for that, was the creation of the farmhouse I wanted to live in, and it was also based on a farmhouse that I saw um, that I loved but was already under contract and sold. But it ticked off a lot of fantasies for my book. So the folks that live uh, out west of Atlanta, or excuse me, east of Atlanta, might recognize yes. the area that you're speaking of. Yes, okay. my my favorite corridor to travel in Atlanta, getting out of Atlanta, is 78. Because once you get outside of Snellville and Loganville, it becomes more farm territory, and it's very easygoing. I had a antique booth in Monroe, Georgia, for a while. And I love Monroe and Statham and Bogart. And actually, the farmhouse was one in that particular area. And some of the roads I described that I drove were the roads going from Monroe to Statham. So I just have a real fondness for that area. And I keep trying to find a house out that way. It's not okay. the easiest task. Now, the plot for this novel, Danger in Her Words, uses erotica to develop a suspenseful storyline. Now, you handle that subject very well, and that's that's kind of difficult to do, really. What kind of feedback are you getting from your readers? Well, actually, they thought it was great. I'm still a little embarrassed about some of the scenes because, you know, I write about more personal things. I write essays. I write about my dogs. And writing, trying to write a little bit about sex was difficult. And I went up and did a lot of research to see what people were writing in just general female novels about sex. And mine is really low-key compared to what is out there in a lot of books. But I wanted to build up the tension. I wanted to make it be fun because when you read this book, there's a lot of chatter, girl talk, between the characters. That's pretty funny. And you might go, well, who talks like that? Well, sit with a group of women at happy hour with margaritas, and you'll find out. And um, so I try to capture the fun feeling of the the, uh, friendships between women, dating, and they do talk about sex. We do. Um, It was kind of fun. And then I kind of got the suspense in there that kind of sneaks up on you. But, yeah, I started writing that book. About the time Fifty Shades of Grey was hitting, and I did go to a conference where they talked about sex cells, and I came home and tried to write a book, and I went, oh my gosh, I think that's porn, and I shelved it for a year, and then I brought it back out and toned it down a bit and had a lot of fun with it. Well, I think you did a pretty good job. One of the reviews that I found on Amazon, and there's several very positive reviews, well, one lady in particular said there's just enough naughty sprinkled in to add some excitement. So sounds to me like you handled the subject quite well. 
Well, um, I tried. <laughs> My mother read it and approved, so I guess that's okay. <laughs> okay. But frankly, the idea of a bunch of women sitting around talking about sex, that's a little intimidating for us guys, so you just need to know that. <laughs> okay. I don't know All what right. lots of talk is with men, but women do get daddy. <laughs> now, you have written blogs, and you've written articles for many years. Now, your first book was actually a memoir of your time after the death of your husband. Danger in Her Words is a suspense thriller, and it's quite different from the comfort zone of writing from personal experience. Now, what prompted that change in genre? It seems like every time I write something, I try something new. My brain goes in all different directions, and I just keep trying different things to see which is a better fit for me. I have the most fun writing personal essays because I connect pretty well with people with those. I get a response. Fiction is kind of lost out there. And unless you really market your book heavily or you you strike it with a lucky chord somewhere, people read it, but they don't relate like they do to your personal stories. So that was a big change for me and one I'll probably try again. Now, your protagonist in this story is a writer herself, and she's working on a novel. Now, writing a story within a story is a pretty neat trick for an author. How did you tackle the technique and keep everything straight? Well, it was, um, in my mind, I thought it was pretty straightforward which character we were with, and I don't think I confuse my readers, but I was pretty much, initially I put the title of each, you know, the name of each character. One is Jamie, one is Susan. But once you got used to their storylines, then um, the titles of the chapters changed. But what I had a lot of fun was, we'd have Jamie doing the naughty things, and then Susan, the writer, would go, oh my God, did I really write that? So if I had kind of a, oh, my goodness, moment about what I wrote, then my character, who was the main character and the writer, um, she had that, oh, my goodness, moment, too. So I felt like I was kind of pulling myself out of the hole I might have put myself in with what I wrote for Jamie. It was a fun way to handle it. Now that you've taken the plunge into fiction, I've got a couple of questions for you. Did you enjoy writing fiction more than the memoir? You know, that is an excellent question. I don't think so. I enjoy writing the memoirs because I know where I'm going with them. What was funny about the fiction, everybody says your character takes you on your ride. And truly, I would sit down to write a chapter. And when I finished it, I went, where did that come from? I mean, it just surprised me because I sat down and I went, oh, I have to get so many words in this chapter. And they came, and they took me in a direction that I really wasn't expecting. So that was very interesting. But I like the familiar familiar feeling of writing about life around me that I'm more familiar with. It's just um, more safety net for me. Well, regardless of a safety net, do you plan to try any more fiction? Are you going to write some more thrillers for us? Uh, Yes, actually the book is set up for a sequel just in case I get my energy level up to do another book within a book um, with some of those characters. And um, I also wrote a story that was in an anthology that came out in March and um, 
it was an 8,500-word story, romance story, and that was challenging for me because I seem to write best in increments of 2,000 words, and pulling together a story of 8,500 words was a challenge. But it was a romance, and it had to do with old houses and a widow with a bunch of dogs and a ghost. So does that sound somewhat familiar? <laughs> it, it does. How about telling everybody, this is a good point, tell everybody where they can find danger in her words. Well, the best thing is to go up on Amazon, and you can find all my books there. You can find the anthologies there also. But um, just Google my, you know, put my name in there on Amazon, and it should bring up the author page in my books. And you also have a web page, do you not? Yes, I do. And um, that's um, BarbaraBarthWriter.com. All right, Barbara Barth, and the last name again, folks, is spelled B-A-R-T-H, and it's BarbaraBarthWriter.com, so we hope you'll go there. Now, any any uh, little secrets about uh, Danger in Her Words? Uh, do you have any guerrilla marketing planned, any signings you got coming up? No, I actually, um, the, the book has been out a short while, and I haven't marketed it like I planned to. Because once again, life got in the way, and I wound up going in a different direction. And that can happen. That can happen. And right now, we got to go in a different direction, folks. We're here this morning with Barbara Barth. We're talking about her thriller, Danger in Her Words, and we're going to be back on America's Web Radio right after these messages. From Doug Dahlgren, an action series that grabs you and won't let go. Four members of Congress all die within months. Each death appears to be from natural causes. But when mysterious messages begin to appear in the form of quotations from long-dead Revolutionary War heroes, one reporter sets out to prove the existence of a serial killer. His search uncovers dark secrets and an assassin shielded by people who need the very services that only he can provide. The Sun, Silas Rising, a novel by Doug Dahlgren, in Kindle or paperback through Amazon.com. Did you miss a show that you really wanted to hear? All of our programs are available for download on americaswebradio.com and on iTunes. You can listen to your favorite programs on americaswebradio.com anytime you like. Affordable health insurance was the promise of Obamacare, but for many, the government mandate caused more problems than it solved. This is Dr. Elena George from Medicine on Call, and I want to tell you about a truly affordable alternative allowed under Obamacare. Liberty HealthShare. Liberty HealthShare bypasses doctor and hospital panels, giving you the freedom to choose. And with a maximum of $500 out-of-pocket per person and 100% coverage up to $1 million per year per occurrence, you can rest assured knowing you and your family are protected. Coverage starts as low as $107 per month and also includes dental, vision, pharmacy, and holistic care. Liberty HealthShare puts you back in charge of your health. Visit them online at libertyoncall.org. Again, for a true affordable alternative to Obamacare, visit libertyoncall.org or call toll-free 1-800-714-6993 today. 
The Docs for Patient Care Foundation is your way to join the fight and become a member of an organization created by doctors for patients dedicated to fighting for your health care freedom and preserving the doctor-patient relationship. Get a pen and paper. Write down docsforpatientcarefoundation.org. That's D-O-C-S, the number four, patientcarefoundation.org. Go to our site and please make a generous tax-deductible donation and join the fight today. Thank you. This is America's Webradio.com, the best in chat radio designed just for you. And good morning again. We are here on the prologue at America's Web Radio. Our guest this morning is Miss Barbara Barth, and she's brought uh, quite a number of her works with us. The primary thing we've been talking about is her thriller novel, Danger in Her Words. Now, Barbara, I've already let it be known that you and I are friends. In fact, my wife Donna and I had the pleasure to meet you several years ago at your shop where another writer friend had directed that I go, and it was really a direction. said, you've got to go to Lilburn, Georgia. You've got to meet Barbara. Now, I want to go backwards just a little bit here and let some of the people know why you're such an important person. I want to give them a chance to understand a little bit more about you and what you're all about, okay? Can we do that? Thank you, yes. Okay. Now, when we met, you were operating a specialty shop in Lilburn, Georgia, that was called the Little Shop of Arts and Antiques. Now, how did you first come about to open a shop like that? Well, um, this is the story where people think I'm a crazy person. I had... um, I'd been an antique dealer for years. It was my sideline hobby. Had done shows, had been in different shops. And I launched my widow book in April 2010. And shortly after that, I took a fall in the kitchen, dislocated my shoulder and tore my rotator cuff and had surgery. So December that year, I was really feeling very housebound. And I said, I need to get back out to meet people. And I went to meet a friend for lunch in Old Town Lilburn, and I was very familiar with the antique shop across the street, Antiques in Old Town, great shop. And there were three vacant buildings on the other side of the street. And if you aren't familiar with Old Town, it's like a half a block on each side of the street with shops on one side and an investor had bought the other side of little old houses that eventually was going to be some kind of a project, never came about. And I got out of my car, and I looked in the window, and my image looked back at me, and I went, I'm already in this shop. I'm supposed to rent it. So I wound up renting this little shop and was going to turn it into an antique shop. But I really didn't want to sell anything because I was more involved with writing at that point. We had the shop open in January 2011 with um, an event. We had live music. We had an art opening and an event for animal rescue. But all the proceeds for everything that sold that day went to animal rescue. And from that point on, every weekend, I called it nine months in old town, <laughs> every weekend we had book signings, art openings. I really wanted to try and develop it more as an art center I probably chose the wrong venue because I was paying out rent and not bringing in any money, but I had the best time ever. It was a way for me to connect with people. It was a way for me to find great talent, 
and expose them to people, people, you know, talent that may not have really gotten any exposure. And because I was a writer, then I put it out on my blogs. I put it out on the local newspapers around. that had the online patch. We got a lot of promotional things out of it. So it was a great time. But I wound up renting three buildings in four months. And by the ninth month, I had to close shop and move because I was going broke. But we were having a great time there. And that's where I met you. You came in and we had a book signing for you. And that was wonderful. And I just met the most talented, wonderful people there. And my extension of that, which I think we'll probably talk about, is my blog. Because when I closed the shop, I was really, I moved to Lawrenceville and I was there for five months. And then because of some family things with my mother, I needed to kind of lighten up my financial load to help her. So I closed the shop entirely. But we had book signings up there and we had writing classes going on. I started the Gwinnett County Writers Guild, which is now being handled by somebody else. And it was just a grand time of helping other writers get their words out to everybody. And I had the best time doing that. Well, that's exactly what was going on, folks. you got a picture, uh, this, this little, she called it a half a block. It was probably more like three-quarters to a whole block. And picture the 1930s. That was the atmosphere and kind of the mystique that this little area had, and Barbara's shop fit right into it. Uh, she, she mentioned that I had a book signing there. A lot of a lot of us who were just getting started uh, had signings there, but there also was a gentleman who was far from getting started, and I think people all across the country would recognize the name of Terry Kay. Uh, Terry came over from Athens, and uh, where he was living at the time, and actually had a book signing there in Barbara's shop that was quite successful. Uh, she she she's a very modest person, but she had all kinds of uh, forums and, and writers workshops and and everything uh, that this lady does is directed at helping other people, and that's really uh, what all the extra buildings that she rented out and all the different types of artists. We had bird handlers in there and face painters, and I mean you know she just all types of art were welcome to come and display their talents there at Barbara's shop. And it was a fun time, wasn't it? It was. And I'm glad you mentioned the birds. I sat there. It was open on 4th of July. And I thought, well, who is going to show up on 4th of July? And this fellow in a pirate outfit and a woman with him came walking down to the store, and they had these big birds. They had the big macaws on them. And I think they were flying feathers. And we had them perform several times. I mean, it was, they had the most wonderful birds. And um, I just loved that. It was just so fun. I mean, I really missed having that shop. And my goal is eventually to try and capture what went on down there to some time of a memoir that um, it was like a period of time I don't believe you could recreate because we tried, we were trying to get the downtown area kicked off uh, the mayor that was there at the time was lovely. She came every Saturday to visit me and brought flowers. And the whole area down there is growing somewhat, which is great. There's a music school down there, Music on Main that came in. The antique shop is still there. Um, and the thing to mention, there's a wonderful restaurant there right now, too. But when I signed my lease, I didn't realize that the restaurant that was the big draw for that area went out of business the same month. 
so when I went in in January, there there was no place to eat down there. The main draw was gone. And the few shop owners pulled together with me trying to figure out how we were going to bring some activity into the area. So it, it was quite a time. Well, you heard her now right I, here, folks. And one that I am so happy I did, even though I will say it probably took a lot of my cash flow with it, but it was worth every moment because it was a wonderful time. Well, that that's the thing. You weren't worried about cash flow. You were worried about others. And, folks, you heard her. She committed to writing a memoir about that time. That would be a fun read. I mean, even if you didn't participate, uh, what went on down there was very special, and I hope you'll follow through with that, Barbara. I really do. I want to go way, way back with you for a little bit now. Tell us, where did Barbara Barth grow up? Oh, my gosh. Okay. I was born in Jamaica, New York. And as a kid growing up, everybody I would say was born in Jamaica, and they thought I came from the islands. But um, it was New York. And then I moved to Winter Haven, Florida. About the time I turned nine, my dad had a fantastic business venture. He was... He was many things, but he was also had an automobile dealership, and they went down south with the Edsel, if anybody remembers the Edsel. And uh, that was not very long-lived. I wish somebody had kept one. But um, I grew up in Winter Haven, Florida, and I probably, I guess I moved to Albany, Georgia, somewhere mid-college, and then moved to Atlanta, I think the late 70s, you know, time has a way of <laughs> pulling together for me. But it was kind of when I moved to Atlanta, I felt more my own person because growing up with a dad who was in business in a small town, we really had to be well-behaved because we were taught it reflected on the family. So when I moved to Atlanta, it was like, oh, I can, can do whatever I want. And even though I still was pretty well-behaved, it didn't reflect on the family, so it was kind of a freeing time for me. Now, did you always enjoy reading when you were younger? Yes, but I was, you know, Christmas a kid, I did the Nancy Drew books and all of that. But as an adult, my interest in reading really went more to memoirs, and I like to read journals that people write. Uh, one of my favorite authors. And I don't know that I would love her quite so much now, but Mae Sarton, and she wrote Journal of Solitude. She wrote about a little quiet life in Maine, although she was kind of a, a wild character herself. She wrote nonfiction, fiction, poetry, and her, there was a lot of beauty and comfort in her words. And then she wrote her journals at 70, at 80, having cancer. And I don't know, they were just beautifully written, and I think that has stuck with me because those are the type of books I still like to read. When did you first realize that you were interested in writing? When I was uh, probably in my 30s, and we're not going to say how old I am now, I wanted to write some children's stories, and I actually came across them a couple of years ago. They were tucked away. Um and some paperwork that I was clearing out. And they were fun. I had a lot of cute children's stories. And I actually tried to market some of them. Nothing happened with them, but I knew nothing about writing, nothing about marketing. 
And then my real push for writing came after my husband died in 2008, and I started um, pulling together my thoughts on being a widow and trying to find a way to write about putting yourself back out there rather than writing about all the grief. I tried to write about my experiences through the year of trying to find my place again, and uh, that's where the unfaithful widow came from. It's kind of a, a quirky memoir with uh, dogs in a vintage Corvette and bad dates and signs from the universe trying to get me through the first year. We've got another break coming up, but tell the folks right quick where they can find Danger in Her Words and your other books. They're all on Amazon. It's the easiest place to go to find any of my books. And uh, it's where you can find all your books, too, Doug. They need to look you up. All right. Thank you so much. We are here this morning with Ms. Barbara Barth, and she's talking to us about her writing and her work with other writers. And we are going to be back for more of this after these short messages on America's Web Radio. The disease of addiction is a life-altering challenge, not just for the person suffering its effects, but also for the family and friends who support and love the one caught in its grasp. What should be the course of treatment? Who is the best person to render treatment? And what is the best place to go for the care that is needed? We know that you want answers to these and many more questions. Call 770-696-9862 and speak to a representative of the Atlanta Healing Center. They can tailor a program specifically designed to address the needs of the person suffering with an addiction or give you guidance as to where that help may be found. Information is the key, and the trained staff at AHC is here to assist. If you wish, you can also get more information on the website located at www.AtlantaHealingCenter.com. Don't be hoodwinked by the left who wants you to believe the fairy tale that we can power America on butterflies, rainbows, and pixie dust. I'm Marita Noon. Get the truth about energy on my show, America's Voice for Energy, only on America's Web Radio. Did you miss a show that you really wanted to hear? All of our programs are available for download on americaswebradio.com and on iTunes. You can listen to your favorite programs on americaswebradio.com anytime you like. From Doug Dahlgren, an action series that grabs you and won't let go. Four members of Congress all die within months. Each death appears to be from natural causes. But when mysterious messages begin to appear in the form of quotations from long-dead revolutionary war heroes, one reporter sets out to prove the existence of a serial killer. His search uncovers dark secrets and an assassin shielded by people who need the very services that only he can provide. The Sun, Silas Rising, a novel by Doug Dahlgren, in Kindle or paperback through Amazon.com. This is America's AmericasWebRadio.com, the best in chat radio designed just for you. And welcome back once again. We're here on America's Web Radio. The show is the prologue. My name is Doug Dahlgren, and I'm glad you're here with us this morning. Our guest is Barbara Barth, and we've been talking about her books, her writing, and her work with other authors. Now, your first novel was really a memoir. It wasn't a novel. It's called The Unfaithful Widow, and this is an award-winning work. Tell us uh, what award that was, and tell us a little bit about that story. Oh, okay. Well, I entered it in the um, 
2011 USA Best Book Awards, and it placed as a finalist under the Women's Issues category, which was real thrilling for me because I published that book under what they call vanity publishing, which when I wrote it, I knew nothing about writing. They did a lovely job putting the book together, but some people are critical of that type of publishing. Since then, I considered it self-publishing, but I have my own publishing company now, and my work's come out under that, and not to the um, companies you pay to do your work. And I think you're familiar with um, with the more self-publishing end of it, Doug. But I wanted desperately to get my story out, because after my husband died, I had no children. We had no children. Um, it was just me and him. I had no family in town. And actually, he died, and here I'll give away my age, three months before I turned 60. And I thought, well, this is charming. I'm going into my old age as a widow. And to me, it was all so bleak. And I was really afraid I would never do anything to get out of the sadness and grief. But I chose, I did not go to grief counseling and I did not want to read any books on grief. I did go to Barnes and Nobles, and I read one book, and it was so depressing. I thought, I don't want that. I want people to know, to follow my journey, and see that maybe you can work yourself back into a life that will be different, but it could still be good. And that was what the book turned out to be. It started at night writing these crazy emails that were kind of depressing to friends, and nobody ever answered me because two hours later I'd write back, never mind. And finally I started channeling it into things I kept on my computer and into essays. And I did go to a critique session by an author who was with the Atlanta Writers Group. And she said to me, Barbara, you killed your husband off three times in 20 pages. People want to hear your story, not the fact that he died. And that changed the whole tone of the book. And it's essays over course of the year, just everything that happened. And for being such a sad year with the loss of my husband, it was a magical year with how things opened up to me as I tried to open up to life around me. And I probably did the craziest thing of all as I turned 60. I went on a date, and I did start dating that first year just to get myself out of the house because I didn't have any single friends. They were all married couples. And I ran that kind of 79 Stingray. My husband would have been thrilled. I cashed in a money market account he had and bought the car, and I said, okay, I'm going to be outside my comfort zone. And the big joke is I don't have that car now, but in the four years I owned it, I put in four new batteries and four tanks of gas because I never drove it anywhere. I'm an antique dealer. I was, and I always took my van everywhere. But the book is really more about trying to find your place and the different things that I ran into. And sometimes when I go back and I look at that book, I feel like that children's story about the little train, I think I can, I think I can, because I just kept pushing through until the end of the year. And... Um, the book, when I read it now, it does make me smile, and it also captures a lot of feelings that I might have forgotten over time. Kind of cathartic in a way, wouldn't it? Yeah, it was very, very. 
And, and, um, and you know, and I write. May, yes, go ahead. I'm sorry. Well, I was going to say, if I, if I may dare say, there's uh, you're not alone in that. There's quite a number of folks on both sides, widows and widowers, who uh, who might get a good message from this book and help them get through a very difficult time. Uh, so, you know, we recommend it highly. Tell them, tell them real quick again the title and where they can find this book. Yeah, it's The Unfaithful Widow, and it's up on Amazon. And I would like to just say that I handle things with a lot of humor. It's my way of dealing with things that are upsetting. So the book, I think, is heartfelt, but it also is funny at times. And, I mean, if you figure you're going through listening to signs from the universe, um, bad dates leading, leading you to good things, a vintage Corvette, and a group of rescue dogs and the best girlfriends. It kind of gives you the tone on what pulled me through that year. Now, you started writing uh, after your husband passed, is that correct? Yes. Uh-huh. So that's been uh, just over seven, about over seven years ago. H- yeah. Had you ever... Had you ever thought about writing in any form prior to that? Well, you know, when I was younger, I think I mentioned the children's books, but really not anything that I was more into art. I was more into my antiques. But after he died, I needed to find a way to kind of bridge from one life to another. And writing seemed to be that answer for me. And it's what has kept me going. And, of course, my handle is Writer with the Dogs, and I live with six rescue dogs, so there's a house full of love right there, but I laugh and I said if I didn't have the dogs and call myself writer with dogs, I would just be that crazy dog widow down the street, so um, the writing has really been a saving grace for me still, and it has introduced me to a lot of people that I don't think I'm ever going to see a whole lot of money writing, but I love the context I meet people, I get to know the other writers, and particularly writing a memoir, I've had a lot of widows contact me that found something in my stories that helped them, and to me, writing is all about connecting with people, and that's what I love best about it. Well, not only connecting, but helping and promoting others. Uh, You've got a marketing strategy for your own books that you share readily with other folks. In fact, uh, you've got a blog out there right now that is based on that. It's called Book Talk. Would you tell us a little bit about Book Talk? Yeah. After I closed the shop, I really missed that interaction with writers, so I created the Book Talk with Bar for Bar, which is my blog where I can reach out to other authors and feature their work because I really missed having the book signings and helping to promote them. So... That blog is for writers with their books, everybody that's on there I've had personal contact with. And, of course, then I hit all the social media um, outlets with the book. I'm on you know, Google+, Pinterest, Twitter, Facebook. Um, I take what they've given me there and put it out wherever I can, and I have fun doing that. But I also have my Writer with Dogs blog, that has been opened up to writers who have dogs or write dog books. And their stories are on there, along with, if it's just a dog book they've written, that they have a way of sharing that information. And plus, I love reading about the other dogs. 
in the crazy. Now I want to I want to give people the address uh, and folks get your pencil out real quick, okay? Because this is a little extension, but this is how you find book talk with Barbara Barth. It's uh, www.barbarabarthbookblog. That's b o o k a b l o g dot blogspot dot com. So again, that's Barbara Barth Bookblog dot blogspot dot com. Now there, you will find really a internet version of what we're trying to do here on the prologue is introducing you to writers and their work. And this goes back for several years. Uh, you can dial down and, uh, and find somebody and read about them and see if you're interested in their work. And uh, I'm just real proud that I know this lady and the things that she's doing. Now, the blogs have been rather successful, but you mentioned the dogs. Tell us real quick about the other blogs that you have going on. Oh, well, let's see. When I turned um, 65, I started a blog called Sparkle. I truly believe in anti-aging. Not that, you know, I feel bad that I'm getting older, but some people stereotype you, and I feel that at any age you can do anything, and my mother taught me that. And I feel like I just want to keep trying to do new things, and the blog Sparkle is more about that, but we also do everything kind of inner exchanges here. We talk about writing. We talk about um, life experiences. I have a blog, The Cottage in My Mind, where I have been trying to work through my need for an old farmhouse, and I talk about that. Um, I'm hoping to have, pull in on all the blogs that I have, which I probably have seven or eight blogs. They're my online journals that when I want material, I can go back and pull from them, which I think is a great way rather than having files on your desk, which you can lose, or on your computer, which I can't ever find. But my next book, I hope, will be my dog memoir, and I will pull in all my gentle gardening stories, all my dog stories, and write about what it's like to be a widow over a certain age living with six dogs. And um, I hope that will be my next book. That will be a good one. I also want to mention real quick, it's available on Amazon. It's only in Kindle. But you pulled together last year a very special anthology of Christmas stories. Now, I know it's hot summertime right now, but Christmas will be here before we all know it. And uh, what a great gift this thing would make. Barbara, tell us a little bit about A Cup of Christmas real quick. A Cup of Christmas is, um, that was a great, I had a great time pulling that together. I'm in there with 30 other authors, so there's a total of 31, it's Kindle only. The premise at the end of each story that's there, you link to the writer's webpage or sales page. But the book is $1.99 on Kindle, but all proceeds for that go to a charity, a children's literacy charity called First Book. And it's actually in the Kindle, the link to First Book, that um, everybody donated their stories to help with the charity and then also to help get a, a nice Christmas anthology out. But we have, and Doug, you're in there with a lovely memoir that I love. And um, we've had the Georgia writer one year. She was Georgia writer of 2000, I think, 13. We have a Vietnam vet who has never published before. 
who had three paragraphs about Christmas in Vietnam. It's a very odd assortment of people, poems, memoirs, and stories. And I have a story in a couple of Christmas that kind of kicks off what I hope is the Folk, magic of the book. And, and folks, you need to go to Amazon and look that up. It's called A Cup of Christmas. It's on my page and many others. And folks, we're here with Barbara Barth. We're going to get this one last break out of the way, and we will be back to finish up this morning on the prologue with Barbara Barth. This is Doug Dahlgren on America's Web Radio. From Doug Dahlgren, an action series that grabs you and won't let go. Four members of Congress all die within months. Each death appears to be from natural causes. But when mysterious messages begin to appear in the form of quotations from long-dead revolutionary war heroes, one reporter sets out to prove the existence of a serial killer. His search uncovers dark secrets and an assassin shielded by people who need the very services that only he can provide. The Sun, Silas Rising, a novel by Doug Dahlgren, in Kindle or paperback through Amazon.com. Did you miss a show that you really wanted to hear? All of our programs are available for download on AmericasWebRadio.com and on iTunes. You can listen to your favorite programs on AmericasWebRadio.com anytime you like. Affordable health insurance was the promise of Obamacare, but for many, the government mandate caused more problems than it solved. This is Dr. Elena George from Medicine on Call, and I want to tell you about a truly affordable alternative allowed under Obamacare, Liberty HealthShare. Liberty HealthShare bypasses doctor and hospital panels, giving you the freedom to choose, and with a maximum of $500 out-of-pocket per person and 100% coverage up to $1 million per year per occurrence, you can rest assured knowing you and your family are protected. Coverage starts as low as $107 per month and also includes dental, vision, pharmacy, and holistic care. Liberty HealthShare puts you back in charge of your health. Visit them online at libertyoncall.org. Again, for a true affordable alternative to Obamacare, visit libertyoncall.org or call toll-free 1-800-714-6993 today. You're listening to AmericasWebRadio.com, the pioneer and leader in chat radio. Thank you for listening. And we are back. Good morning, everyone. We are here again on America's Web Radio. This show is the prologue, and I have the pleasure of introducing to you this morning Ms. Barbara Barth. Barbara is a writer and a blogger and a pet lover. Uh, Barbara, you currently have a bunch of buddies at your home. Would you mind terribly telling us about them? You're talking about my furry friends. Um, yes. yes, I have six dogs here. Um, they are dogs that came out of my local animal shelters. And actually, I laughed because the majority of them came in the year after my husband died. I lost my big German Shepherd, and I had little Foxy left, who was a small German Shepherd. And I thought I needed to get her a buddy. Well, within nine months, I wound up adopting five dogs. And I would be up on PetFinder.com, and i go, looks like such a nice dog. And I would get with the rescue group and wind up with another dog. So we wound up, I have a very tight little pack of dogs here. My little Foxy is no longer with me, and she was replaced by Bertha Barth, who was the last dog to come in here, a kind of low-rider um, Asked how much she came out of the animal control. My other dogs all came from rescue groups, and they had more of a 
history with how they behaved. Birth has been kind of a wild card. But yeah, I mean, they're a great bunch of animals, and they are a strong pack. They love one another. It's great fun to watch them interact. But my latest book venture was a picture book that I got out in May called A Dog Dreams of Paris, which is based on one of my dogs, Miss April in Paris. At the time she came into the house, I still had Foxy, and April was the sixth dog to come in, and she was a hunting dog, the chocolate brown head with the liver-spotted body, but she was very intense and very shy. And I renamed her Miss April in Paris, and I put a vintage hat on her head that was a little pink chapeau with a big pink silk rose on it. And she actually let me do that, and she posed for a bunch of pictures. And this was back in 2010 when my memoir was coming out. And and I started a blog for her, Dog Dreams of Paris, from Rescue Dog to Diva. So I took that into a picture book for this year. It's 55 pages, full color, paperback book, of her diary of where she would go if she went to Paris. And this is from a dog's eye view, so she sees things differently than we would see if we went to Paris. And at the end, she realizes that there's no place like home, her forever home with her other dog friends. And it's just a beautiful book. My sister does my book layout, and she did a fabulous job. And all the proceeds for that book go to Animal Rescue, so I'm real proud of it. Very good. So that's two that all all proceeds are really going to charity, the Cup of Christmas. Yes. The, the Kindle, and then this picture book, uh, A Dog Dreams of Paris. And, again, it is a picture book. It's like a coffee table book, um, maybe smaller, but it's still that's what its intention is. It's just cute pictures. It's a wonderful gift book for, um, for dreamers of all age. What I think is really cute is I had it on a blog tour with women on writing, and it got reviewed by an 8-year-old. And it was very <laughs> interesting. It, really, it was so interesting because I wrote it really for adults, but I looked at a lot of children's books on Paris to see what sites were more appealing to children because I thought that might appeal more to a dog. And oh, there is there's a section on dog poo in Paris. And so, <laughs> believe me, it's very tastefully done. I'm not, I'm not sure we can say that on the radio. <laughs> <laughs> but um, the kids love that. Well, we, we've got quite a range that we're offering from you uh, to the listeners out there today. And this, this lady is a tremendous writer, and she's just got a tremendous variety of things. Uh, the thriller that we first started out mentioning, Danger in Her Words, the memoir that is a very touching memoir and could be quite helpful to folks going through a similar situation. Uh, she calls The Unfaithful Widow. Uh, and then, again, there's the anthology, A Cup of Christmas. All of these things are listed if you go to her webpage or go to her Amazon page and also uh, the picture book, A Dog Dreams of Paris. So you've got all kind of choices there, folks, so I hope that you'll make a note. Barbara Barth, look her up on Amazon and, and uh, get, into, get into what she does. You will be happy that you did that. Now, Barbara, you refer to the fun side of writing, marketing and just meeting and helping other people. Uh, you mentioned earlier self-publishing. I am a self-publisher. I have a company that I name myself, as did you. Now, there are cautions that new writers need to be aware of out there because there are all types of people who are more than happy 
to help you with that at a at a significant cost that may or may not be worth it. It depends on what you're prolific at or what you're what you're uh, able to do yourself. But I would just say there's just a lot out there for folks to watch out for. Would you agree with that? Oh yeah, and you know my first book, I wouldn't say I fell prey to it because they really designed the book I loved. But the thing that I found out is one because they did the PDF, they own the PDF. I have to buy it from them. I own the story rights, but they actually own the PDF. So that was very annoying, and I used their ISBN. What I learned from them is get your own ISBN, do it under your own imprint, and your work is all yours, and you are the publisher of record. So that's what I would suggest for people, and there are... There are private individuals out there that can help you do the PDF to load up to CreateSpace. And um, I love CreateSpace. It makes everything very easy to do. However, I do not do my own PDFs. I use my sister's design company, and she does work for other authors too. But it's just a really clean way to go, and you own the rights to everything, which is great. You know, I'm not unhappy how I started because I didn't know any better, but over the years I have learned and I try and share some of that information with other authors also. If you're not a writer, that might be boring to you, but folks, there's a lot of folks out there who are thinking about writing or who are working on writing a book and afraid to ask or don't know the right questions. Uh, The thing is, if it sounds uh, like it's too much or if it doesn't make sense to you, it probably doesn't. Uh, so it's not necessary to spend a lot of money to get your work out there. And to you readers, a lot of you are probably leaning back and going, yeah, there's a lot of garbage out there that comes under self-publishing. That's why you don't have a publisher. Well, sure, that's that's probably true, but there's also a lot of garbage that is published. Uh, it, it just really today it depends on who you are rather more than, than what you've done. So I would just caution you to not judge that rapidly. Um, there's so much out there. Uh, for people to go through, it's impossible for a reader to sample everything that's available and to separate the wheat from the chaff. But part of what we try to do here is help you with that. Barbara's books are well worth you looking into, and I invite you to do that. Uh, there are others that may not be, but if you listen to this program, we're going to bring you authors that are worthy of your time. Whether you choose to follow up with it is your business, but I hope you will pay attention and tell your friends to listen in. Now, Barbara, time's running a little bit short. Uh, is there something else that you'd like to add or perhaps any shout-outs you'd like to give before we go? Yeah, actually, it's on self-publishing. I have never really tried to get an agent and go to a publisher because my books, to my mind, are complete artwork from what I want on the covers, how I want the interior set up, um, how I want the book to look and feel. And I like doing that myself. And I think particularly each book gets better. The Dog Dreams of Paris, I would put it up there um, against any published picture book that's out there. And I owe that to my designer, my sister. But I like to have the control of what's in a book and how it looks. And if you get a publisher, they kind of take that over. And that doesn't mean you're going to make more money. It doesn't mean you're going to have more exposure. It just means maybe your ego will go, oh, I have a traditional publisher. But to me, I'd rather have the product that I wanted to produce. 
And that's why I like self-publishing. Well, there you go. And we don't want to sound like uh, publishing is a bad thing. People who have publishers have done a lot of hard work, and they deserve that, and that's that's quite good. But I'm just saying don't ignore other work because it's self-published or a small house that you haven't heard of before. So Barbara's words are very good. Uh, Barbara, this has been fun. It's, it's always a pleasure to talk to you, and uh, we're just very uh, – thankful that you came on this morning and shared with the readers and the listeners out there about all of your work. Uh, and again, is there anybody that you want to say hi to before we go? Oh, <laughs> no, I just, I'm hi to everybody who's listening in and I hope you'll check me out and check out my blogs because I think you'll like my books. And I know I have a lot of great authors on my blogs as Doug has on his show that you'll enjoy meeting. That's true. That's very true. Book Talk. Make sure you go there. We talked about that, that link a while ago. I want you to go to Book Talk. Well, folks, there you have it. Now, you have been introduced to another terrific author that maybe you hadn't heard of before. Now, the next move is yours. I want you to get out there. I want you to look her up. Look up Barbara Barth on Amazon and buy those books. Barbara, you're another author who uh, really could command a whole lot more time than we've been able to give you this morning. Uh, but I thank you so much for being here, and I hope you've had a good time. Well, I've had a ball, Doug. It's always great talking to you, and you have a way of making me relax during an interview, so thank you very much. <laughs> well, thank you. Thank you so much. Folks, the website here is americaswebradio.com. My show is The Prologue. You can reach me through email if you uh, or anyone you know would like to be a guest or if you just have a comment about the program. I'd love to hear from you. The email is Doug, D-O-U-G, at DougDahlgren.com. That information is there on the screen. So, folks, thanks again for joining us this morning. I hope you've had a great time, and I hope you'll be here again with us next week for another prologue. Again, I am Doug Dahlgren, and I hope you have a great weekend. This is AmericasWebRadio.com, the best in chat radio designed just for 